This is how we overcome it. Moving on, keep it up. Reaching to the world. Arms open, arms open, yeah. This is how we practice. Well, welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Sarah. I'm Erica. And I'm Steve. So, friends, we are in a series this summer where we're looking at various hymns, um, most of which are some of our favorites, but that's not the reason we're looking at them. We're looking at them to see their connection with Scripture, uh, either very directly or, or somewhat indirectly. So we've looked at uh, Christmas hymns and um, all kinds of other hymns from both of our all of our traditions. So, Steve, what hymn are we looking at today? Today, I wanted to spend a moment talking about a hymn text by John Bell uh, called Will You Come and Follow Me, sometimes also called The Summons, in uh, the Lutheran circles of which I can uh, speak with some familiarity. This was first published for our uh, church use in the early 2000s in the current primary uh, worship resource we use called the Evangelical Lutheran Worship Hymnal. Um, it was originally written and copyrighted in the late 80s, so other circles might know it uh, or have known it for some decades. Um, but the text is written in five verses. The first four are questions where it's framed as Jesus speaking to us or God speaking to the the, the listener. And the last verse is sort of the response back so to give you the first verse we'll give you at least a feel for how it goes will you come and follow me if i but call your name will you go where you don't know and never be the same will you let my love be shown will you let my name be known will you let my life be grown in you and you in me and after several verses like that he's sort of putting what it might look like to follow jesus um the final verse goes, Lord, your summons echoes true when you but call my name. Let me turn and follow you and never be the same. In your company, I'll go where your love and footsteps show. Thus, I'll move and live and grow in you and you in me. This has such strong covenant language. Mm. Um, and, and I know that I'm thinking of this in particular because I'm doing a summer preaching series on, um, you know, Genesis. Mm. And I just concluded, like at the time of this recording, I just concluded um, talking for several weeks about Abraham mm -hmm. and Abraham's covenant with God and how that isn't just God blessing Abraham, but it also calls for Abraham to also be doing things, right? It is not a one-sided agreement, it's two-sided. And so I love that constant refrain of you... Uh, me and you and you and me and like it's I think that's such great covenant language and how we are also in that kind of relationship with God where it's not just completely one-sided right like mm -hmm. God has done so much for us but then in turn our response should be mm -hmm. to follow God it, it also to me echoes so strongly of um Jesus language in the upper room uh, discourse in John where there's it almost feels like a late Beatles song the I and you and you and me like it feels kind of I me mine kind of you know um but um that imagery of abiding that Jesus keeps coming back to in those chapters in John's gospel where he talks about um if you're going to follow me you'll abide in me and I'll abide in you this sort of mutual participation that um I almost picture like the air that we breathe. I'm surrounded by it outside of me, but when I breathe it, it comes into my lungs and I am participating in it. And it is also inside me at the same time. 
um, and that our relationship with God is something like that. Never so small that I control God, but also does fill me as well as being around me or above me. Um, and each of the verses end in that kind of language that whatever it is will be in you and you will be doing the same thing in me, Jesus says, so that all of our lives are lived within God's work in our lives as well. That when it's, it's, it's not, it's not covenantal in the sense of a transaction of, okay, God says you do this part. And then when you do it, then I'll do my part. But even my mm -hmm. contribution to the relationship is done in and within God's power. Um, and what God does is through me uh, or through people, uh, not just off in a distance somewhere else. Yeah. I'm not familiar with this hymn. It's not in my hymnal, but as I read through these lyrics, I can't help but see, you know, everything. It's not calling us to do the typical checklist of things mm -hmm. that we think of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it's calling us to do the things that Jesus did. Exactly. You know, because it mentions the blind and the leopard and the prisoner, you know, yeah. um, and, and caring for all those folks in the way, in the way you described it, Steve, in the way that Jesus cared for them. Yeah. Not yeah. as, you know, as a charity case that we throw money at. Yeah. But we are you willing to be seen with these people, to interact right. with these people, to minister to these people yeah. and with these people? Yeah. One, one of the things I really love about this hymn text is the further you go into it and the more it gets into those nitty gritty things. I like it as I want to say a counterpoint to the kind of calling uh, language of the hymn we talked about a couple weeks back, the Here I Am, Lord, mm -hmm. uh, which is poetic, but like as far as what am I supposed to do, what does it mean to answer yeah. that call, is pretty limited to the the general and the poetic. I've, I'll hold your people in my heart, but what does that mean? I'll, you know, mm -hmm. I'll... So, yeah. And this, this hymn has a way of sort of saying, well, it will be costly, and that as much as... Uh, answering the call of God is a warms your heart kind of thing. It's also a, are you aware of what it will call? Like, again, like, there's something beautiful too about that. And the cost isn't just, uh, you might die. You might be a martyr. I think there was a time when we needed more of those hymns when they were stringing us up on crosses and feeding us to lions. But the, there's a, a beautiful line in the second verse. Um, uh, will you care for cruel and kind and never be the same? Will you risk the hostile stare? Should your life attract or scare? Will you let me answer prayer in you? And you and me. In other words, it's this awareness that like following Jesus might not win you friends. It might mean that people look at you weird because you're hanging out with the outcasts, because you're willing to be uh, this voice and presence of love. The the third verse has this beautiful line. Um, Will you kiss the leper clean and do such as this unseen? I mean, I, I love that mm -hmm. imagery. I mean, not because there's any Bible stories of Jesus literally kissing a leper to cleanse them of their leprosy, but that imagery of the intimacy and that at least part of the scandal in the Gospels when Jesus heals people of leprosy is that even though this guy who could do it with a wave of his hand or a magic word touches people who are contagious with this skin, you know, skin disease, in a way that risks taking on that uncleanness into himself. And instead of Jesus saying, I, I can't touch you, but I'll heal you from a distance, is willing to stretch out his hand and take people by the hand, bearing that uncleanness and all that stigma that comes with it into himself as well. And that imagery of that's part of the call as well, to meet people and not sort of antiseptically, well, I can't touch you or be seen with you, but like you say, I'll mm -hmm. throw money at you or something. But this, it, it, it will be costly because it will mean that we'll live this different kind of life. Um, I, I especially like that, that idea or that image of like touching the unclean and mm -hmm. not like 
you know, not doing it with that hesitation of like, oh no, I might too become unclean. Right. It mm-hmm. reminds me a lot of um, Princess Diana and the AIDS mm-hmm. epidemic when she mm-hmm. would she went to a hospital and like held a small child who had AIDS, mm-hmm. and um, which I think would have been timely for the writing of this hymn. Mm-hmm. Um, because this hymn was yep. written in the 80s right so yep. that was mm-hmm. right when like everyone was like "Ooh, like gotta be careful with the aids like that changed our communion practices right where no more common cup now we have little tiny glasses um you know because it was like oh you don't really know what other people might have and so therefore let's take precautions instead of this um you know, fully embracing Mm -hmm. everyone. Yeah. Yeah. To me, it echoes the theology of uh, Walter Wangren's short story, The Ragman, which is sort of a parable about Christ Mm -hmm. where the Christ figure, um, you know, takes the handkerchief from the weeping person and then he starts to weep and he takes the the blanket that the drunk has and Mm -hmm. then he starts stumbling for drunkenness. And that that's a whole other language of atonement theory. Part of what Jesus does is takes into himself the hurts of the world um and it's not quite so transactional like i need to pay your debt or i need to uh be your pound of flesh before god but more i'll absorb the hurt and share it with you uh and that's one of the things i i also love about this hymn the, the other thing that comes up in the fourth verse that i don't know many mm-hmm. hymns that do is but still it's very very scriptural but uh it, the fourth verse goes will you love the you you hide if i but call your name Will you quell the fear inside and never be the same? Will you use the faith you found to reshape the world around through my sight and touch and sound in you and you in me? And again, like to me, that's another dimension of the language of call stories is that so often in the biblical witness, the person who gets called by God starts out with a protest of I'm not worthy, right? So it's Moses, I'm not a good speaker. You should send somebody else. It's Isaiah, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips and un- people of unclean lips. Pick somebody else. It's Jeremiah, I'm a little kid. Um, and how here is um, this invitation from God. What if you weren't ashamed of who you are? And you could hear that you were being called as you are. Um, the other thing, I, it, it brings to my memory, um, I, it might have been a professor at, at seminary. I'm trying to remember for sure who it was. Um, but I'm thinking I remember a professor pointing out that when Hannah and Mary respond to God, they don't utter any of that, no, it can't be me, I'm not worthy, you must be mistaken, but like just sort of take it as, okay, you say I'm worthy, I'm worthy. There's something really interesting about mm-hmm. that instead of this sort of like narrative, which can sometimes feel like a false humility, like, uh, well, I have to demure and say, no, I'm not worthy, and then you have to say that I'm worthy, like they cut through it and like, here I am, the servant of the Lord, let it be the way you said, says Mary, you know, and, um, that there's something beautiful about those faith stories as well, where um, uh when when God calls to be able to say, yeah, if you say I'm worthy, I'm worthy. And I don't have to put up a protest of I'm not worthy. I'm not acceptable. But if God says you're called, you're called. Right. Um, uh, it also reminds me of that sort of pregnant moment in um, Act 8 where the, the Ethiopian eunuch has heard the good news from Philip uh, and they're on this wilderness road. And he says, hey, I see some water there by the side of the road. What's to prevent me from being baptized? Right. And then like 
Philip, if he'd been paying attention, could have said, well, it turns out there's a long list of reasons, right? You're not Jewish. You're a eunuch. You're not going to be joining a congregation. All these reasons that you don't belong. We haven't had the Jerusalem Council say the Gentiles are welcome yet. There's a long list of reasons why I should not be allowed to baptize you. And instead, just you as you are. You've been called just as you are. Um, and that there's that just utter freedom of loving the you that other people might make you want to hide. Uh, th th there's something I love about that verse uh, in particular. That's the verse that struck out to me, Steve, as I was reading it, because it, and I don't know, and I'm still kind of processing, because again, this is a new hymn to me, but it makes me think of Jesus's line to love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. And, and we get that line, but how often and how well do we love ourselves mm -hmm. so that we can then love, you know, um, cause I know my own journey and the journey of, of some folks that I'm really close with, like we're those people that will come up with, I, I have all, I have this excuse and this excuse and this, you know, X, Y, and Z, why you should not choose me, God, why I'm not the person, why I'm, and, and just that really struck me. Um, and I think I need to do more pondering on that verse. Um, just knowing my own personal history with mm -hmm. accepting who Christ sees me as versus yeah. who I see myself as. Yeah. Well, and I think that's so true for all of us is that we, you know, think, oh, if only that person knew the real me, the me that's mm -hmm. deep inside, you know, all of my complaints and selfishness and greed and anger and, yeah. you know, all of those things that we can hide so easily but if they saw that, they wouldn't want to be around us. They wouldn't mm -hmm. want to be with us. They wouldn't trust us or like us or whatever. And then when we are told that, you know, who does see you, you know, mm -hmm. who does see your heart of hearts and what's on your mind and all of those things that weigh you down, God sees that. Yeah. And you know, mm -hmm. who still chooses you and still loves you, yeah. God and mm -hmm. not just accepts you, but like calls us to be God's public face. I was just thinking about this uh, as we we're recording this, this last Sunday in the, the lectionary, the gospel text uh, has Jesus sending out his 12 disciples and you know they're going to go to all the towns and they're going to do what they've seen Jesus do. And he says, whoever welcomes you welcomes me. And I think it hit me for the mm -hmm. first time that this isn't just Jesus at the dinner party with the sinners where he could have conceivably said, okay, I'm at the dinner party with them, but I certainly don't endorse these sinners. They're bad and their lifestyle is unacceptable. Here's Jesus taking these 12 disciples, including tax collector Matthew, including illiterate fishermen, Peter, James, and John, and saying, you're my public face. And when people see you, they're seeing me. I'm endorsing you to be my representatives. And yet these are still the same people who, Chapters later will be wanting to call down fire from heaven when a village won't receive them or will think that it's their job to raise up an army or keep competing for who's number one. And like these are people who keep not getting it. And Jesus knows that about them and doesn't say, well, you guys clearly aren't ready for prime time. You can't be my you know, public uh, spokespeople. But, yeah, he knows that these guys are going to keep getting it wrong. And he knows mm -hmm. that there's lots of reasons the rest of the world would say you're not worthy, you're not acceptable. Um and he sends them out anyway. And th there's something really beautiful about if that's the model we get in the Gospels. And yeah, a hymn like this says, yeah, this is who God sends. The people that you might have a whole long laundry list of reasons why you're not eligible or unworthy. And here's Jesus saying, but I called you. And, and I called you for a purpose to be my public face in the world around. Makes me think of Peter. 
He's not yeah. one of those ones that's like humble, like Moses. Well, I can't speak well, or Jeremiah says, I'm too young. Peter, you know, Peter at the last supper world, if you're going to wash my feet, then wash all of me. Like, right. You know, right. stick my foot in my mouth. Peter is the one that <laughs> Christ builds his church on. Right, right, right. And who, in the moment when it mattered, bails out on Jesus out. three times. And then Jesus, instead of saying, well, clearly that was a mistake, that's it, you've been fired. All right, we're going to start over, Peter. Um, mm -hmm. I think even though that single verse of this hymn doesn't directly quote any of those Bible stories, in some ways, so many of those stories stand behind that recurring theme of like, Jesus knows who we are in our deepest self and mm -hmm. loves us with full awareness, with eyes open and doesn't run away. And it's not about shaming us, but it's just, I see you as you are. And if you thought that was going to scare me away, it, it doesn't. To me, th that also feels like the story of Jesus and the uh, Samaritan woman in John 4 and the issue of her past marriages comes up. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I think I've heard a lot of people automatically assume that this is like Jesus, like, like rubbing in what a terrible sinner he is. But I'm not really sure that that's it. I think it's more just like, I know your story. If you thought that was going to keep me away mm -hmm. from you, it doesn't. I know the story. Yeah. And if you were worried about hiding that so I didn't find out, I know. And look, I'm not I'm, I'm not running away. And she becomes the one who gets everybody in her whole town to come to Jesus, right? Um, so that like it's it's less about that I have to do this woe is me, I'm a wretch. And then Jesus has to say, well, you've performed your sorrow ritual you know, uh, dramatically enough that now I'll welcome you. But like, it was never a problem. I loved you and I claimed you and I know I know the mm -hmm. truth about you anyway. We were having this conversation around our council table not long ago. Um, we were talking about um, what practices we have as church to help us be better truth tellers. Um, and one of the things I we talked about was how in our pattern of worship, how frequently there's a corporate confession and forgiveness at the beginning of our liturgy. Um, and that it always ends with the announcement of God's forgiveness on us, not just sort of a I say I'm sorry, and then I got to find out whether God forgives me or not. There's always that together. And we talked about like the reason we do this is not because God was unaware that we have sinned in thought, word, and deed, but like we need to be honest with ourselves here. But our confession is not about informing God. So it's not like we need to come because God was unaware that I messed up again, but we need to start with okay, that's out in the open. And God says, I've forgiven you already, done deal you're beloved already now we can move forward but then like maybe that frees me up in all my other relationships that i don't have to do that sort of wall building or keeping up my defenses or my armor i hope they don't find out this about me or i hope they don't realize this part of me but like we can be honest here's me here's what i'm struggling with and god has claimed and sent me anyway is there anything else you would like us to know about this hymn steve um i guess i think you mentioned something earlier erica that i think you, you phrased it really really well that this hymn text is grounded in the stories of Jesus and what it looks like to follow Jesus. And so it's not an abstract, will you, you know, answer the call to follow? Mm -hmm. so there, there's a certain subset of, of Christian hymn texts that kind of get militant in that, you know, that sort of almost use that word, we're, we're soldiers in God's army, and they never get into the details of what it would look like to follow Jesus other than it's like we're in an army and we're fighting for Jesus. Um, and that like this text is helpful because it goes, well, it turns out Jesus isn't interested in raising an army after all. And what would it look like to do Jesus work? Well, it would look like loving people where they're at. It would look like being willing to share your faith. It would be willing to uh, accept that you're beloved, even the parts that you hide. And we don't have to hide behind generic kind of violent metaphors of we're in Jesus army um, or that I'm willing to lay down my life, which kind of seems like, well, OK, but that's not likely to happen. But what might Jesus call me to do? Oh, there might be people in my life that I'm called to show love to. 
And that's going to be tricky for me. Or I might be willing to stick my neck out and be unpopular for who I offer welcome to. Or I might be called to, um, with confidence, tell my story when other people might look down on me. Yeah, that's what it might actually look mm -hmm. like. And that that's all in that bigger picture of the cost of discipleship. But to me, it's so much like that line of uh, Bonhoeffer's in, in his book, Cost of Discipleship, when he says that following Jesus is costly grace. It's costly because it costs us our lives and it's grace because it gives us the only true life there is. Like, And it's not just after you're dead kind of afterlife life, but like the life of living Jesus kind of love is what real life is really all about anyway. And that's the life that's worth spending your breath on um, now. Um, so I, 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 I think so much of this is rooted in the broad sweep of the Gospels without necessarily having a name check or Bible reference every single mm -hmm. one. And to me, it's it's helpful to notice in our whole series we've done this summer, sometimes a Bible text will be very clearly quoted or a hymn will be written. This is about this one story. You know, when Jesus was born and the shepherd told it on the mountain, this is about that time. <laughs> um, and sometimes it is so rich, like with a Wesley hymn, there's like you can't help but stumble over biblical allusions left and right. And here's one that is grounded in that sort of broad sweep. Um, but doesn't have to be like, it, this is about the one Bible story or here's the place where it quotes it, but it's more so immersed in it that you get the story of scripture here throughout the whole text. So we want to thank you all for joining us this summer, listening to us talk about these hymns and where they come from in scripture. We hope this isn't the end of the conversation where you are, but maybe wherever you find yourself, um, see if there's ways to create these moments like we've talked about before, whether it's in a Bible study or a small group or a Sunday morning gathering or something, but where, where you can explore a little more deeply what's going on in the hymn text that we sing and pray, the ways that we learn our faith, not just by hearing sermons, but by singing the faith together. And next time we'll have more adventures here on Crazy Faith Talk. See you all. Bye.